0: Welcome to the Shelf Wormers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics.
1: I'm your co-host Sugu, and tonight we're going to talk about the first half of Picard Season 3.
0: I'm your co-host Darby, and we're going to argue about fan service again.
1: (laughs) Yep, Again.
0: Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, a freelance writer and editor and an independent author. Publishers Weekly called my novel, Ever the Hero, an entertaining debut which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics in an alternate America. You can find more information about me and my books at DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby And
1: I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Tonight, because I am super slow at watching TV shows, we're going to talk about the first half of Picard season three. But before we get into that, we got some, uh, we have some house cleaning to do. <laughs> or housekeeping to. Yeah,
0: housekeeping. Housekeeping, uh, house cleaning maybe. Um yeah, super excited to talk about card. I'm really dying to know what you think about it. Um, a couple things off the top, as you guys listen to this today, uh my novel, Stargun Messenger, Space Opera, uh very retro sci-fi, but Gayer, is uh out. Ebook and paperback. Uh please check it out if you're interested. You can get all the information at my website, Darbyharn.com. And like we talked about last time, I think, um, I do have a newsletter I should be talking about. So if you're interested in updates and things like that, you should sign up to the newsletter. Uh, by doing so, you will get a free uh, prequel novella to Stargun Messenger, uh, only for subscribers. Check that out if you're interested. Um, book tour coming up May 15th, Des Moines Comic Con. I will be in person selling signing books june 3rd and fourth, stuff later to come so very excited very uh darby in the future is very excited about stargon finally coming out after we've talked about somewhere in the pod years and years i have uh really a couple i have a lot of stuff coming up as far as uh promotional stuff uh, there's a uh, uh, the couple sort of posts slash essays that i'm i'm where i sort of talk about the 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 uh history of this book i'm I'm very happy to for people to see so
1: yeah absolutely <laughs> and it's coming out um yeah check it out enjoy the bright pink and blue cover yes i'm getting mine in june
0: Geez, I don't know what that's about. Um, I will say uh, the paperback uh, pre orders, um, usually it's ebooks, uh, are like 75, 80% of my sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the opposite with Stargun Messenger. I don't know what that's about. Uh, it's the and pink. I don't. I think, is it the pink? Is it it's just sexy? <laughs> it's fun, right? It's exciting. Um uh i don't know what that's about so i don't and i don't know why quite why june uh for that it is out may 5th it should be out may 5th worldwide for everybody um i'm sort of in the dark when it comes to some of the global distribution sometimes so yeah uh, th- th- there are some improvements behind the scenes with global distribution that i think i'm excited to see that are going to unfold over the summer Can you um, talk about what those are it just seems like it's. It's just. Uh, I don't know all the details myself. It just seems like it's sort of trying to make things easier/slash streamlined for that part of it. Um, it's going to be more efficient, cost efficient, certainly for me, and um, hopefully then for the reader. And um, hopefully the sort of delays won't sort of will sort of. There's a lot of reasons for delays in paper and production and publication, but the hopefully some of that will start to diminish and um as we go into next year and uh move forward into other books and things like that hopefully that's all easier but um yeah i'm very i'm very excited i'm very excited uh people seem to be into the book um i heard someone was telling me last night that they 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 think it's a really cool title the title is fun um makes them curious so if it makes you curious uh, check all that stuff out. I I mentioned, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So, Picard season three, first yeah. Half. So today I saw season or episode six. That is the episode yeah. with Data. Uh. So. I episode six. About, <laughs> yeah. I suppose we can is include epi- up to that part, but. I think it it might be better to just focus on the Nebula and the Shrike. That's about the first half of the season.
0: Episode six is worthy of uh, is probably a podcast conversation in itself. There is so much happening. Uh, Episode six is uh, Daystrom Station. The Fleet Mute. Spoilers, folks. The Fleet (laughs) Museum. Uh, and, uh, data, as you mentioned, and there is enough going on at any one of those things to fill up an entire season of any TV show with Easter eggs and things like that. Uh, episode six is literally bursting at the seams with stuff. Um, but yeah, there's, there's an enormous amount in this the entire season to talk about and dissect, but yeah. So let's just start at the beginning. What are your, what are your thoughts so far? On the first half of the season
1: Mm, a lot of my thoughts is i need to hold back judgment or just kind of sit with my feelings until i see where this is going um yeah like i i wish i liked it more than i do i don't hate it Mm -mm. but i wish i liked it more than i do uh, there's a lot mm. of moments that feel pretty contrived and pretty like, Hey audience, we know you like this. So here it is now cheer and clap for us. And it doesn't mm. really like fit. And one example that I can, that I can say right away is when Picard took the captain's chair and then said, engage. Right. Hmm. Randall moment Picard's back in the captain's chair and he said engage because we, the audience, used to know him as doing that, right? The problem is in this show, it didn't feel very earned. I mean, it wasn't Shaw, the actual captain of the ship, who gave him the helm, it was the acting captain Riker who was given that command because Shaw was like, You know what? You got us into this mess, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> I'm transferring well, control to you, and it's just like uh, to me. It didn't feel sh- like that moment. Shah while cool, would- didn't feel earned.
0: Shaw was injured. Sure. Yeah. Um, necessitating him to transfer command to Riker. Um,
1: was it necessary though? Like he he said, like I'm not arguing whether like he it should was. have or should not have, but. It, the the dialogue what was actually on the page was you got us into this mess i'm transferring control to you you can get us out
0: there's a couple things going on in there it it's uh Shaw is such an interesting character um fantastic performance by todd stashwick at the fantastic performance just gets better and better throughout the season um, Shaw puts himself into a corner because he's already um uh, uh sent 7 who is his first officer to her quarters right mm-hmm. he's basically so he doesn't have an XO he's then injured very seriously injured Shaw is during a, in a in a battle with the between the Titan and the Shrike and uh leaves Riker as the only officer on the bridge with with the exception of Admiral Picard and, and Picard is retired at this point um with the uh, command experience um on that so i found the big sort of debate with this season is um how you reacted to the fan service in the show uh this this is this is a season which is very much engaged and very clear fan service and and I have an essay which I, I I'm hoping I've uh I've pitched to a couple different places and I, I'm hoping uh gets picked up if it doesn't I'll, I'll just run it on the blog on my website um I think there is a for me personally I, I generally react there's a, I generally a couple things not so much but uh, reacted positively to like the fan service and things like that. And some of it is, was very necessary, uh, especially as we get later into, and we'll, and we'll get there as we get to data. Um, and then some of it is frivolous. Uh, but some but a lot of what um, for me personally, the big di- the big thing in fan service is, um, is it just there to be there? is it just oh here's this here's this droid you remember from the background or this alien you remember from the background in the cantina in star wars or does it advance the story uh a lot of what's happening in star trek picard season three is advancing the story and advancing the characters um and so it's not it's not simply there are some things that are simply there Um, there are some things which answer important questions. A lot of that happens in episode six. There are very major questions in star Trek lore that get answered in that episode. Um, they're not entirely necessary to the plot, but, um, some of, some of them are important to the overall star Trek story. Um, and I I found that worthwhile and I found the season in general, um, beginning immediately with, um, just the, the, the slow, gradual, um, reu- reunion of the next generation crew, beginning with Beverly, um, and Picard, um, and advancing their story, uh, through, uh, through their son. Um, I found it all very, if someone who's been in love with these characters for 35 years and you know watched the show next generation from the date it literally the day it came on the air back in 87 uh, i found it all very rewarding i found it very fulfilling some things not so much you know some things i sort of wanted more cuz you always want more um but yeah um
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know things like things like Picard saying engage or whatever if you, if you didn't like that, you're going to be upset later.
1: <laughs> well, like I said, it like, I liked that moment, right? Just like I was reminded a lot of, uh, no way home, which there were so many moments in there that I really genuinely liked. I liked seeing, mm-hmm. but did it carry the plot forward? No. Was it pretty clunky in terms of the narrative? Yeah, but they were great moments. And like Picard taking the helm, saying "engage" was a great moment. And in episode six, there's a ton of, a, ton of, I would even say really important moments. Um, oh but yeah, yes. yeah, like there, are, there were a couple parts that I really that I found like I in general, I've, I've enjoyed season six or season three. Uh, mm-hmm. up to episode six, but I am also kind of uh, a bit wary on passing judgment because I, I, some of it I'm waiting to see how it's all going to play out. Uh, so for one, I, and, and maybe this is a casting choice. I, I'm not entirely sure what, where it is, but I don't really like Jack. And, uh, and oh, yeah. part of it is part, part of it is definitely, he is supposed to be in his lower twenties, twenty-three to twenty-five. He acts roughly twenty-three to twenty-five, but he looks thirty-five to forty.
0: Ed Spaleers, like, who pl- yeah, Ed who plays Jack is thirty something.
1: Yeah. Uh um, Don't get me wrong. He is a he is a very good capture. Of the young Picard from Tapestry. Like yeah. the same jawline, the same look. He looks like he could be Jean-Luc's descendant. Like, absolutely. There's enough genetic material from Jean-Luc in him. Okay, that part's fine. But he's just, he doesn't look the age that he's acting. And it keeps throwing me off. I keep looking at him going, dude, you are way too old for this. And then I'm looking at at Beverly and going, ma'am, you are way too old for this. And I don't mean like having a child, but like some of her actions, like she is, or she was anyway, chief medical officer of the flagship of star of the star uh, of the federation. Yeah. And she doesn't know how babies are born. She doesn't have control of her own pregnancy. (laughs) Like really? I I find that really like stretching and the federation Mm. in the 25th century doesn't have good birth control like it raises a lot of questions that pulls me out of the show um
0: i don't yeah the birth control i don't it's not something i i didn't i didn't get stuck on it's i i assume as she explained it in episode two three um it was clearly unplanned, and their their relationship was one of the most complicated relationships in all of Star Trek, Picard, and Crusher. These are two people who are just absolutely always at odds, despite their deep love and um, uh, care of, for one another. Um... It's hard to say the timeline, let me back up a little bit. The timeline with Jack is Ed Spilier's is a little is obviously a little older than Jack. He maybe would have wanted someone younger. Jack is really younger in the show than he should be given the timeline. It, yeah, it actually The timeline is a little we don't know everything. The timelines a little confused. I think him Jack being 30 would make some sense but um it, it, they it decided would make sense that,
1: in terms of narrative but then it, it pulls yeah. a bunch of other stuff into question because like he is that age and acting like that it's like uh, there's there's a big disconnect there too i uh, it,
0: he sort of makes sense to me as sort of this you know he, he's very uh young and brash and headstrong and he, he sort of got a little bit of the the young picard in him. He's also got his mother who is um Beverly has always just been very independent and very uh, clearly into the uh, maybe to a fault. And um so he clearly got all of that. He, he got dad's jawline, he got her hair um somewhere through all of that he became sort of han solo. Um so I, I like Jack a lot. I I think he's sort of he's sort of uh, he's, he's sort of uh, the best and worst of Beverly and Picard. Um, birth control didn't didn't really occur to me. I you know where they were in their lives and careers. It sort of seemed that they were, as she put it, she kind of knew the writing was on the wall. Maybe they you know. Um, one thing I would have liked more in the season is just a little bit more we get this great, we get this great scene, that scene between, I think it's the top of episode three, Um, this We're great scene between, ju- where him and Beverly are in the sick bay, and it all comes out, and it's 30, really 50 years for them, for the characters, of everything, because their relationship goes back to the day they met, when mm-hmm. she met him, Jack Crusher, uh, her husband, Jack, um, introduced her to Jean-Luc. And that was maybe 60 years ago in the Star Trek timeline. Um, That led to this immediate... Picard and Beverly always had feelings for each other. They were all, you know... um, He was in love with her from the start. He's admitted to this. I think Beverly was obviously... Had feelings for Picard too. Um, that was complicated, obviously, by the fact that she's married to Jack Crusher. Well, then Jack Crusher dies. So on on some level, they're off the hook, right? It should be it should be easier for them in the aftermath of that. To, if there is feeling there, if there is connection there, it, it, it should be an easier path. No, it was harder. And these are two people that were actually been angry at each other for the better half of a century. And they're angry at each other because they're in love with each other, and they feel guilty about it, and they feel recrimination about it. So then you cut to next generation, and he brings her on board the Enterprise. Why would you do that? But he does, and then apparently he thinks, you know, whatever he thinks, as he as he says, at some point. And I don't think I don't think you've seen this episode yet, but he's like, there's always this barrier, there's always this wall up with Picard and then so they do this dance through the entire next generation era and they sort of come together and they they go they drift apart and they can't quite close the distance clearly at some point off screen things got a little bit more serious again but then they just were breaking down they were breaking down and then you know and then jack and then as she that that scene between is one of my favorite scenes in the season it's one of my favorite scenes with these two really good actors who finally these are two people who are airing it out all of it the dirty laundry they're both very they both have very strong reasons to be angry at each other she hasn't said a word to him in 25 years about his son she has all these and her just the way her justifications escalate in that scene is dramatic and she goes from you know she goes through all of it and all of it makes sense and then he's just like but you did i've been sitting in my vineyard (laughs) for at this point in the show for 15 or 16 years, you could have called, you could have picked up the phone.
1: See, that's the thing. That's where I, I kind of also got, got taken out of the show because, uh, Beverly Crusher was the doctor on the flagship of the Federation, the enterprise. She was also part of Starfleet, her husband, Starfleet, her son, Starfleet, and her on again, off again, Uh, lover, Starfleet. You're talking about Wesley, yeah. Yeah. Yep. She has a long history of not just, like, being in Starfleet, but, like, being a part of Starfleet, like, being directoring, uh, like, being in a position of power of Starfleet, and several times they have gone about the importance of Starfleet. So for her to just say... Yeah, no, no, none of that. Like, it just felt really strange. It really feels like they completely changed her character from what we knew of her back in The Next Generation to kind of fit fit into the plot that they want the story to go in.
0: They definitely had to engineer a way to make Jack happen, right? But, um, and justify the... Picard not knowing I I don't I don't think it it it's out of character for her Um, it's as she says uh, this is in keeping with her character she's lost her son Wesley she's lost Jack she lost her parents Um, she's someone who's driven by fear and driven by loss part of her problem with Picard that she never closes the deal with Jean-Luc is because of that fear it's the same reason. And then oh my god. And then she's pregnant. And then she's like, and then she realized and at this as she she lays out the sort of the details that at this point when this is happening, the Romulan uh, the situation with the Romulan supernova is going down. And then she just makes a decision driven by fear. Um to to, to do what she did. I I I I would be if it were me, I would be as angry as Picard is. I honestly it's, you know, it's, it'd be infuriating, especially at that point in his life His like he said, my life would have been very different. And that's absolutely true. If she had said, if she had showed up at the vineyard with Jack and she's like, Hey, you know, this is, this is, (laughs) this is your son. That his life would have been different. And, um, and that's, and she hurt them both. Um, you know her justifications are her justifications um he's right to be angry she was right to be afraid very right to be afraid um i was okay with the fact that they had to figure out a way to make all that work within the story right you know we're at this stage and you know picard has no children and he doesn't know he can't know about jack so why is that and so they came up with a way for that I think felt like they came up with a way with that, that advanced both Picard and Beverly's characters that finally paid off this relationship and dynamic, which has been that fans uh, of the show and of the, of the characters have desperately wanted to see resolved in 35 years, right? That the show would forget about that. The movies forgot about entirely um you know and and to finally have these two really good actors especially gates who um got so few opportunities certainly in the movies uh there are points in the movies that she's just standing there um to finally have to give her an opportunity to show how good of an actress she is um so i appreciated that and that that's to me the season is full of a lot of that is given these people their due
1: yeah, let's let's rewind and, and and talk about that a little bit more because I'm why did they relegate Gates McFadden or Beverly Crusher to like the background by the end because she was such an important character in especially the early seasons.
0: <laughs> this is so Star Trek fans will probably know this story very well, but like for anybody who doesn't, let's rewind all the way back to the beginning gates mcfadden um is dr crusher from season one and then all of a sudden in season two she's gone she's that replaced was two? by i
1: thought that was later
0: that was season two diana Muldar uh played dr pulaski who yeah. no one liked and no yeah. one ever mentioned again <laughs> yeah. no one ever mentioned again um, it came out much later, Gates McFadden revealed years and years and years later that um, she was basically the subject, uh, she was the victim of harassment on the part of Maurice Hurley. Maurice Hurley was one of the executive producers and showrunners on Next Generation. And she apparently was just too vocal for him. And she had too many opinions. And I, I from a reading between the lines, I, I take it to mean that she also rebuffed some of his advances. So he fired her. Going into season two, replaced her with Diana Maldar, who the cast hated and who the audience hated and was a racist towards Data and just generally a cranky old person. Why was she there? So nobody liked her. So she was on the way out in season two. And then going into season three, they had two choices. They could bring in yet another doctor or try to go back to Gates. And Patrick Stewart made it known that they were going to bring back Gates. And that's just how it was so they brought her back and thank god she said yes but that always put her the character that put beverly on her back foot because she was a little bit forgotten about and michael pillar and other writers did a lot to get her to try to bolster her character beverly had some really great episodes and really great showcases gates mcfadden really good actress there's two episodes from season four that stand out that everybody remembers one is remember me where Beverly ends up alone on the Enterprise, and the other one is The Host, where it's an early attempt at Star Trek to try to address LGBTQ issues um, in a way that sort of leaves you frustrated now, 30 years later, but it was, it was um, one of those, you know, it, it was, for her, great uh performances and then she always had her thing with Jean-Luc and then you know they were all in her Gates and Patrick have this great chemistry together there's a great thing we'll talk about when we talk about episode 10 there's a great sort of in-world easter egg uh not in world out of world easter egg real world easter egg for Gates and Patrick which is really sweet um and um but then they get to the movies and the bottleneck that happens in the tv show because you have such a huge cast is easier because you have 26 episodes you have a lot of real estate you can fill up in the movies you have two hours every two years and so the focus winnows to picard and data because picard and data were sort of the focal points and then beverly by the end like i said is just standing there and you're if you're gates mcfadden you're probably thinking well i know because she talks about it um, you know it was uh, you're not going to say no because it's a paycheck and the money is good and but you're also really frustrated and then the movies are just over the the next generation movie experiment I think in the end was a failure for a lot of people was left fans frustrated left the cast frustrated and here we are 30 years later trying to make up for it
1: yeah, like, for me, I'll be honest, I didn't really take to the movies because as much as I loved the show, the movies seemed really uh, like shallow bastardizations of it, of what made the show interesting. Like, you you destroyed the Enterprise in, like, every single movie. Um, <laughs> and it, it's just, like, I don't know, it's weird. It felt like... It felt like... Batman where Batman had to have a new suit every movie so that they could sell a new toy. And then sometimes like Batman forever, he would get a new suit in the movie so he could get an, an another toy. Right. And it felt cause I remember watching the first couple movies in theaters and just having this weird icky feeling of like, again, pulling me out of the story, pulling me out of the lore and into the real world business side of it, which is you're selling merchandise. And then I kept thinking, it, "Geez, Riker is like the worst captain because he keeps destroying the Enterprise." And like, yeah,
0: it it felt it felt that way in the moment, and it people may forget now, but when the next generation was on the air, when it left the air. It was, it was a syndicated TV show, so it wasn't on network TV. If it had been on network TV, NBC, ABC, CBS, it would have been the number one show on television. It was averaging 30 million viewers a week. Next Generation.
1: Wait, what channel? Game of
0: Thrones. It, it was on every channel because it was syndicated. So it wasn't a traditional network show.
1: Oh, uh, okay, okay.
0: Um, game of thrones at its height averaged 9 million viewers a week next generation 30 million viewers a week it was a cultural phenomenon in a way that sort of was probably the apex of star trek and fandom and cultural awareness when it transitioned to the movies in 1994 patrick stewart and william shatner won the cover of time Magazine. This is this is probably the apex. So going into the movies, Paramount and Phantom had every reason to think that this is going to just continue. This thirty million people a week—that's a lot of people going to the movies. What do they do? They, as you alluded to, in Gen- with generations, the first movie, nineteen ninety-four, they destroy everything. It's 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 dark. It's despairing. It's that they kill Picard's family in France. They destroyed the Enterprise D, very glib, just to build a new ship and sell you a new toy. Um, They kill Captain Kirk. Uh, All of those things left fans very dissatisfied and is the beginning of this discontent around the way that the next generation proceeded then through the next series of movies. Some things in the movies were good, a lot of it wasn't. And then it just ends in 2002 with Nemesis, which is a movie I think most of us just prefer to forget. And then there was nothing for 20 years until. Exactly. Nemesis is where um, they're fighting the Romulans and Remans. It's like a Romulan-Reman civil war. And then Data dies um, at the end of Nemesis. It's utterly forgettable. It's not a very good movie. It was a horrible way to close out the next generation story. People were just unhappy. So this Picard sees season...
1: travel one that involves uh, Eric Bana as the Romulan King or Romulan dude.
0: No, no, that was the J.J. Abrams. Um, two thousand okay. t- two is the final next generation movie. They go to Romulus, there's a Tom Hardy is uh, Shinzon. He's a Picard clone who is going to do something, and they get into a fight, and it's just um not a good movie and um you then you just have nothing and you're upset if you're you're dissatisfied star trek as a brand is then dormant for a few years until 2009 till the jj star trek movie with kirk next generation seems like an afterthought it seems like it's gone then picard comes back and what is that 2019 um and then but patrick didn't really want to do a next generation part two but then clearly in season three something changed and terry metallis who is the showrunner for season three was not involved in season one um clearly came in with a list of grievances and things that he wanted he wanted to address and things we want to take care of and some of this some people may call it fan service and i get it because a lot of this is just pure high octane fan service and some of it is restorative some of it is this was should not have gone down that way back in back then and this we're gonna we're gonna fix it and some of those things include data uh things you haven't seen yet um in in back half of the show uh some picard and beverly resolving finally picard and beverly um things like that Mm -hmm. um and I, i think the way that they've done in general the way that they've done it um, another big thing we haven't talked about. There's so much to talk about in every single episode, and then especially when you get to the final two episodes. But one big thing that happens in episode five is uh, Roe Laren returns. Yep. Uh, absolute shocker. Uh, Michelle Forbes. I don't. Terry Metalis gave an interview where he's like, "I didn't think she'd ever agree to come back because she had sort of, sort of appeared to have some dissatisfaction with her experience as Roe with the with the with the franchise she agreed she agreed to came back for something that was then you realize watching it was so important yeah that this yeah, re, yeah. Resol, res resolution between her and picard another um, amazing scene of two people airing out 30 years of grievances of uh, and it's that scene in the bar with those two
1: mm-hmm.
0: absolute heartbreak um you know and you realize how angry they are at each other. And you really, one thing you realize in the season about Jean-Luc that you may, people may have known before. But this is a guy who holds terrible grudges.
1: And, <laughs>
0: you know, right. if you disappoint him in any way, he, he's going to ha- hold it out against you for a long time. Especially the women in his life. Season 2 kind of goes at that a little bit with his mom in ways that we just prefer to forget about. But you get it. You get it. He's he holds a grudge against Beverly, this woman that he's been in love with for sixty years. Because why? He doesn't really even know. And he there's this barrier. He's angry at Ro because she disappoints his vanity, frankly. Right? Yeah, that's fair. You know, and he has he has legitimate reasons to be upset with her. She betrayed her oath of office. That being said, there that that comp- that dynamic is extremely complicated with him and Roe. I think there's I wonder, you tell me this is good. This we're going all over the place, but real quick, tell me your thoughts on this. I wonder if I read this right or not. Is there any any undercurrent of romance between Picard and Roe at all? I don't That think is so. infor- okay. in Okay. That's in informing my- this yeah, yeah. In,
1: in my opinion, that entire relationship is not romantic at all, but it's much more of a mentor-protege-type relationship where, like, Picard sets a very high standard. And, like, it's not even a standard that he himself can, can do or live up to, but he exactly. sets it for everyone who he teaches. Exactly, and,
0: and that goes back to that moment with him and robert in the vineyard way back in in family where he's he's furious with himself that he couldn't he couldn't single-handedly stop the borg right um i just wondered that because the way that they played that scene in the bar and that final moment that final converse not final but the penultimate conversation between them it seemed like that it goes beyond the the i it goes it did go beyond the the mentor mentee it went beyond service and duty and there's something very intimate in it in their exchange that i didn't know if i was meant to read that as possibly romantic or i don't know i you mean know.
1: i suppose it's possible i did not read it as romantic at all i read it as a And I I really hate to say this because this sounds blasphemous even in in my own head, but it's basically, to me, it reads as Picard's inappropriate boundaries about what a (laughs) mentor-protege relationship should look like.
0: Inappropriate because...
1: Because I mentor protege relationships are not that intimate because i get what you're saying about the intimacy i think mm-hmm. that's there i don't yeah. think it's romantic i think that it that is picard putting more into a mentor relationship than is necessary than should be and that begs
0: that begs the question of why what is it with Roe? Um, you know what is it between the you know that's it, as much resolution as you got in that in those in that episode. You still had so for me, there's still stuff left unanswered in terms of like what there was. I there's something unspoken, whatever it was. Yeah, definitely, there's,
1: and I think I think a large part of that, at least in my opinion, is that Rose quote betrayal doubly hurt Picard because. One is that mentor-protege relationship, right? That, the, that's mm-hmm. the Picard personal level. But at the same time, here is someone who doesn't share his beliefs about Starfleet. Here is someone who thinks that Starfleet is not the end-all-be-all greatness of civil, the peak of civilization, which is something Picard holds to his core,
0: and oh it's it's, you, it's you can bedrock. That.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. and you can see in season 1, 2 and 3 that core just keeps getting shattered over and over in Picard's in Picard's life because the past 3 years have shown that Starfleet is not perfect. It is as with everything that has an organization of humans, flawed. And he has to deal with that.
0: This is why he's such a great character, because he is the true paragon of virtue, despite his flaws. And he's the true epitome of Gene Roddenberry's vision of the intrepid 24th century, now 25th century man. He embodies the values of the Federation and Starfleet. He lives them. He holds everyone to them. Mm -hmm. He's the classical Horatio Hornblower sort of character who brings uh, diplomacy everywhere he goes and then wields a pretty big stick when he has to. And he routinely encounters these failures, first and foremost, with the Borg, which for him is a personal failure in a way that he's confronted with time and again, like with Shaw. Oh, yeah, that 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 was
1: such a great scene. I love that scene.
0: There's an extraordinary scene when they're in the bar and Shaw lays out his trauma and it shows you picard's growth um in this 30 years since this has happened because he let shaw do it and then he simply gets up and walks away he's like no it's fine you know the, how many times has this has happened to picard mm-hmm. um it, it's you marked a difference see
1: that he, he he still carries oh, that guilt with him
0: it's 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 beyond imagination what happened to him, what he was forced to participate in. And it's a marked difference in reaction from his reaction to Cisco in Deep Space Nine, where when he first met uh, Captain Cisco, and Cisco said, Well, I've met you before. And Picard's like, I, I'm sorry, I don't think we've met. And he's like, No, we met at Wolf 359. And Picard then, what he does, what he holds a grudge against Captain Cisco mm-hmm. for being a victim of uh, Locutus. And they, they, they make, they make amends, but they, they, they don't, but it's terse. It's there, there's some hurt feelings there with Shaw. Picard is like, I, I can't, I can't change it. I can't do anything. And what happened to you was, you know, I'm, I'm not even gonna, not even gonna, uh, he just gets up and he walks away and no, it's okay. It, it's, you know, and what happened to Shaw was awful. Um, and what happened to Shaw, unfortunately was not unique. Right, mm-hmm. um and Picard, I imagine, has this kind. Con- how could you even stay? This is, this is how much Picard believes in Starfleet. He stayed in Starfleet after that, even though he had to at every juncture run into a Wolf Three Five Nine survivor or someone. Eleven thousand people died at Wolf Three Five Nine. Um, we don't know what fraction that represents of Starfleet. I'm gonna guess it's sizable. Wait,
1: eleven thousand <laughs> in total, or eleven thousand on a Shaw ship only?
0: Eleven thousand in total. So thirty-nine okay. ships. Thirty-nine ships are destroyed outright at at Wolf Three Five Nine. Eleven thousand dead. Okay. And horrific, right? Um, that that is dwarfed by later losses against the Dominion and during the Dominion War. Nevertheless, um, that that was hor- so. Picard shoulders this unimaginable guilt trauma, and he's confronted by this at every turn. And then he also
1: takes it as a personal failing. Personal
0: failing and that that's in like like he should have been able to stop them. He should have been able to he should have been able to overcome, you know, the the Federation, the Starfleet, and then, you know, me, you know, I'm John Luke Picard. And it we we all, you know, I remember that when Next Generation came on and everybody had these, you know, Kirk versus uh Picard debates, you know, Picardis. Yeah. He's soft and he's he's calm and he's not he's not action guy. Picard actually has much more um sort of headstrong sort of resolution in himself than Kirk Christ, ever did. In the
1: first Kirk. episode of Next Generation, he tells Riker, if we can't get to the ship in time, then it deserves to be blown up. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not he's not softer you... whippy.
0: He's not softer, wimpy you know he that's not his preference is violence is not his preference but by god if if it comes down to it and you you see that throughout the next generation and you know you saw that in first contact when he's confronted by the borg again and you know he he's he's determined to destroy them regardless of the cost and his determination leads to that so we started out talking about you know you, you mentioned him sitting in the chair that moment of sitting in the chair and engage is there to create ultimately this tension which unfolds over episodes three and four which is this conflict between him and riker where riker in command of the titan though is driven really by fear and by fear of certainly of dying and losing the ship but also his own personal thing and picard is still picard picard's always like to turn around we'll fight him riker's like dude like we're outgunned like you can't win and Picard's like nah whatever man like you know like whatever we'll you know Mm -hmm. we have to fight and that's Picard we always you have to you have to confront everything head on and that leads to you know absolute crisis they get out of it of course but there's a moment of where it it doesn't seem that they're going to um and that's Picard it's I you know I'm gonna I I, I can I can do anything we can do anything if we just put our minds to it and that's a you great have quality your
1: crew behind you and you have hope yeah then you can do anything as he tells it's a great you co-
0: yeah it's a great quality to have it, it's also gets you into trouble as it has with him and you know um and he's someone he's he, like any great character in fiction he's a study in contrast he's someone who um he represents all the you know, I can't, I can do it. I, you know, great sort of um, heroic and all this other stuff. And, but those lead to things like, well, then if you disappoint him, he holds grudges against you. And then where do you fit Starfleet? Starfleet and his duty to Starfleet becomes a massive substitute for all the things in his life. He left his, he left France. He left his family because of dissatisfaction and discontent there. He's always been searching for a substitute family but he's also always had these walls up and these barriers. And then that thaws over the course of Next Generation, which ends with that lovely, the absolute the great moment game. where he fin- he finally joins the poker game. Yep. Right. Yep. And then this grad, you know, this sort of thing. But even after that, and one of the great things about the season is that these guys in the Next Generation cast in real life are very close. They're all really close mm-hmm. friends. Used to see that in their internet. Him and Riker together have never been better than this season. They're just two old guys who've been hanging out with each other for forty years who really enjoy their company, so they're having fun. And you know, Jonathan Frakes is very relaxed. He's just having a good time. <laughs> uh, you know, Patrick. Uh, Patrick was felt a little bit tired in season two. He felt a little bit run down for reasons I don't know. A little bit more energy this season. I think that's because he's got his people back. Um, Gates McFadden hasn't lost a step um, at all. She came guns blazing. Uh, Lavar Burton, uh, when he finally shows up, is f- fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really, and and Jordy has evolved, and you know, um, we haven't even talked about Worf. Um, Worf, who is fantastic in this season. Uh, Michael Dorn is ageless, even though they got him. He doesn't have gray or white hair, Michael Dorn, but they put Worf, and it's very—he's got the white hair now. Um, Michael Dorn is seventy-three. Jesus. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Gates is seventy-five. You you wouldn't know it. Um. um they're all so great, and you know, Worf's character has matured a lot. And he's still a warrior. He's still fierce, but he's sort of. On this journey of sort of um, peace and, he's on and the harmony and things,
1: pacifist journey.
0: Yeah, and you know he's sort of taken a different, <laughs> different approach, which gets really good as the season unfolds. Jordy is someone who's he's really motivated by loss, and he's very pro- hyper protective of what he has, and he's also the, the custodian of the fleet, which is the fleet museum is just an absolute nerd nirvana. I, um, I
1: love that line from Geordie. Uh, Captain Shaw, I would love to geek out with you over all of the <laughs> over all of the ships. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was pretty funny.
0: And that and after like five episodes of like Shaw is like whatever, Captain Picard, Captain Record is like whatever. He meets Jordy and he turns into a total nerd. <laughs> he's like, Oh my god. Oh my god. Commodore of the forts. Oh my god. <laughs> um that was great. Um Seven of nine, outstanding. Jerry Ryan, absolutely, is, uh, she's great this year. Uh, Jordy's daughters, both both of them are really good. Um, Apparently, one of them uh, is his
1: actual daughter.
0: Alondra uh, is his actual daughter, and then um, oh my god, I just forgot her name. But the but um, uh, the the helmsman on the Titan, uh, his daughter. Crash the Forge is what they nicknamed her. uh, Is not his daughter in real life. Uh, His daughter is is, she is not his actual daughter. Plays Alondra, who accompanies him uh, at the Fleet Museum. Um, So they're fun. They're great. It's all great. Uh, We haven't mentioned uh, Captain Vadic. What What do you think of the villains?
1: I like Captain Vadic. I think yeah, she yeah. is um she is cool with just enough insanity and craze that you have no idea what she is likely to do. And she looks like she was absolutely able to outsmart everyone else cuz she's just patient, right? Like at, at least she starts that way. Um starts that way. Yeah and then it kind of yeah it, it kind of devolves a bit but at least in the beginning when she was posturing i was like those are that's a really cool way to do her uh yeah
0: amanda plummer is so good in this role and she brings that's this very unhinged yeah <laughs> she's very unhinged and then and she brings in the best way because the changelings are imposters by nature when they're taking someone else's shape. So she brings this very performative aspect to her role where she's putting on a show. And there are moments where some people didn't like it, judging from other people's reactions, because like, oh, my gosh, so over the top. It's deliberately over the top in some yeah. cases. Um, and then in episode seven, you really see the why, the why and the how. Uh, of, of Vatic sort of personality and, and the yeah. way that she sort of behaves, um, very very good villain, great final villain for the next generation. Her dad, Christopher Plummer, was the final villain for the original series. He played right. General Kang, uh, in Star Trek Six: Undiscovered Country. A little bit of symmetry, a little bit. One of the great things about Star Trek is Star Trek is um, uh, is is this uh, family and uh behind the scenes as much as it is within fandom and there's a great sense of family in the show yeah. uh a great sense of community and connection and that really as you get to the end really 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 becomes apparent and it's just a real joy to watch this season it's imperfect as they all are um but um it's um i i, I just i absolutely loved it um i i I I think it's fantastic. I think a lot of the decisions they made, very smart. You kind of, some of the stuff that's, you know, even at 10 episodes, there's still, at times, they still sort of rush through things or they wish they'd linger on this or that. I know uh, reading some interviews with Terry Metallus, there's a lot of things he wanted to do that he couldn't, uh, the budget became a major factor in the show. You will see in the final two episodes why something, why they spend so much time in the bar at, and forward. You're like, why are we hanging out at the bar in every episode? Uh, it's because they were saving pennies. So yeah,
1: I was gonna say um, earlier you had mentioned the scene between Ro and Picard, and then we had talked also about the scene between uh, Crusher and Picard. And it just kind of occurred to me that there's a lot of bottle episodes in season three of people in one location and they're emoting heavily.
0: They are on one hand, he's really leveraging just good interpersonal drama. On the other hand, they are absolutely saving all their money for the last two episodes, which are, um, bigger than any star trek movie you've ever seen um ever mm. um there's one thing in particular I, you haven't seen it so i won't mention it that cost a shit ton of money um that they uh they saved all their money for um and th- there's also things scattered throughout the show that they save their money for one of them is the fleet museum itself mm. uh which those easter eggs as fun and brief as they are cost a lot of money um, you know, one, you know.
1: Where did that money go? Justin Rose, it went in to use the, the assets?
0: No, but to design them. So let's talk about some of them real quick. Uh, the biggest one, I think we can all agree, is the Enterprise A. Yeah. Uh, we, finally, we finally, we we kind of knew she was somewhere, but we for 30 years, we didn't know where she was. So the Enterprise A is at the Fleet Museum. This is a brand new CGI model uh she she is rendered at the top end of the detail she's a she's a hero model is what they call them in the in the biz Mm -hmm. um she could be used she could be used uh in in close-up she gets one close-up but um that those assets cost an enormous amount of coin right um you think whatever she's in like she's in like five seconds of the show Cost an enormous amount of coin to render to develop. She's not the only one. There are a dozen ships. The Voyager is there. Yep. The Defiant Enterprise, is there.
1: You
0: think? The, well, oh, yeah,
1: the Defiant.
0: The Defiant. Uh, Archer's Enterprise, uh, the NX01, is in the background. Yep. The HMS Bounty is there. Um, um,
1: the, the USS prey?
0: Yep. the USS Excelsior is there. And a, Consti- a Kirk-era Constitution class, the USS New Jersey, is there. Also a brand new hero model built from the ground up. These all cost hundreds of thousands of dollars just to render. Why um, did
1: they decide to make those hero models brand new?
0: I assume that they intend to be, have them to mm-hmm. use later in other media, right? If you're gonna build it, build it right, and then so you could just use it again later. Uh-huh. Um, you know, That way you save money um, for on, bringing right. them out of Hawk later. Um, the Enterprise A was one that um, I think just important for, for history's sake was important to have, because if we ever see her again, she'll be a CGI model um the actual model the film model is in the smithsonian um so yeah just if you're going to do it just do it and they did it right and then that way she's available to for other people to use elsewhere if you go back to her um you do see her again in the show later in the show um no spoilers there uh that that's not the only um you, they obviously they return to the museum at some point um, but so they built, they built those models to be able to use for several shots in the museum. And then I assume for stuff down the road, if they did, they've just, they just wanted them. Um, and so that's very smart, very fantastic. And the absolute nerd, uh, you know, um, the, if you're a big space nerd like me, you love spaceships and things like that. Um, the fleet museum was probably the single coolest thing in star Trek ever <laughs> because <laughs> it had all the, it had all the stuff. Um, and it, uh, there's one particular shot that is late. Yeah. Is later, later in the series that I, I, I you haven't seen, so I won't talk about that is just for, uh, for a star Trek nerd is just, um, really special. But, um, uh, a lot of cool things just to chew uh, on. They built all those models. Um, and um, it, the, the. Real quick, uh, nerd, uh, the, the Fleet Museum, the presence of certain ships in the Fleet Museum caused some continuity complications. The presence of Archer's Enterprise, the NX01, suggests that the final episode of, of Star Trek Enterprise did not happen. Um, the, it, I won't even I get into it. Be, okay. In a nutshell, that also left people very unhappy, and it's it was for a lot of reasons I won't get into. Star Trek fans, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the NXO one that's present at the Fleet Museum is the is the refit, which adds a secondary hall. Um, that suggests that the final episode of Enterprise, which takes place ten years in the future, did not feature the secondary hall. Did not happen. Continuity buster, question mark. The presence of the Kirk-era Constitution class, the USS New Jersey, suggests that Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Discovery, is possibly not in continuity because the Constitution class at the Fleet Museum is the classic 1966 Star Mm Trek-era Constitution class. Strange New Worlds and Discovery introduced a modern, updated take on the Constitution class not mm-hmm. present at the fleet museum question mark <laughs> question mark so we demand answers these are these are questions that the show raises does not answer the tons of stuff and and there's so much i mean my god you could talk forever about all of that stuff daystrom institute is loaded with similar yeah, yeah. Uh, east easter eggs um but yeah, all i the 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 show the first half of the show I think is very strong. It introduces um, some great villains, uh, an intriguing mystery, it brings our heroes back together. Um, it is saving some pennies. There's quite a bit of bottle esque uh, show going on early on, mm-hmm. despite despite some really big sort of. There's a lot of great sort of epic shots and scenes and battles between the Titan and the Strike. I love the Titan by the way, the design of the Titan, she's sort of a throwback to um the Star Trek uh Kirk movie era design sensibility at the same time she sort of harbors some new new elements. I really like that. Uh the Fleet Museum is a good uh for me is a good example of one of the things that happened during the Next Generation era of movies is that the designs uh, got really radically different. And that was true of the Enterprise-E, which abandoned the neck of the Star Trek, uh, of the Constitution yeah. class, sort of entirely. Some people I like it, some people didn't. Um, but all of the Star Trek ship, the Federation ships in this era, lose uh, their dimension. They become flat. Uh, they get a very flat profile. The Defiant, the Enterprise E, the Akira class, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The Voyager also doesn't feature a neck. Uh, I think that got worse and worse as that went on, and uh, so I basically suffice to say, I love a starship with a neck, <laughs> and I don't, I don't <laughs> like the ones that don't. Don't, it don't, doesn't look right. Doesn't look right.
1: Right. right.
0: I I think th- the best starship design ever is the USS Enterprise. And the durability of that design is reflected in the fact that you can take, you have different takes on her that are Mm -hmm. dramatically different. The original, the D um, that to me are equally great. The D I think is in some ways better than the original. And obviously in some ways it's just different. The E I like the E she only looks good from a couple angles and only really for me personally from the top because she doesn't have a neck. And then when you get underneath her, she looks terrible she looks terrible because it looks like mm-hmm. someone stepped on her and flattened her. So, <laughs> you know. The Defiant looks great. The Defiant does is a completely different design from the classic Federation design, so it makes sense. The Voyager, not really. She, Voyager looks, as always, to me, looked a little bit awkward. I know people really dig it, so that, that's cool. It was great to see the Voyager again.
1: The... Uh, I, I... I I thought it was amusing, but I didn't understand why no one likes the fat one of like the Enterprise D. <laughs> I was like, what? Why why? I love that one. The Enterprise this, D was, uh, was really I, great.
0: I love the D. I love the D so much. I got I got my hold on, got some props. I got my Playmates Enterprise D right here.
1: Yeah.
0: Um this is from 1992. Um, when I was when the next generation came on, um, people hated the D. Wow! Um, because she was she wasn't she's so different. She's the D is this Art Deco sculpture garden glorious swan like she has a swan shape yeah. um, that is so dramatically different from the A from the refit enterprise, which is. G- glorious design. Um, they just hated it and they never liked it. I was livid walking out of the theater from Generations when they destroyed the D. There were some people that were very happy. Um, but I always I love loved this design—the
1: saucer section and the uh, what the nacelle section. I I love that it can do that and then fly separately, like that. Fly cool.
0: separately and it. T- to me, she's sort of the epitome of Gene Roddenberry's future. She she doesn't look like she came off an assembly line. She's organic. She has all these fluid, curving lines. She looks like someone poured her into a, a into shape. And she, though she separates, you look at her and you can't tell how she does how she would possibly do it because these lines are just so fluid and organic. There's no like rivet lines. She has some obviously. She has some plating, um, but. Unlike the original Enterprise, which looked like it just looks like a starship that you would have built in the 1960s because the limits of technology, that's what it was. When you get to the D, she was so far ahead of her time, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and still is, and still is. Um, All credit goes to Andy uh, Probert, who designed her. Um, She's in some ways, like I said, the best of the Enterprise's um and then in other ways obviously you're you're always going to be partial to the original because you you know um but uh very wrong what happened to the d star trek generations yeah very I mean, wrong should should never have happened
1: i was young enough to have blamed riker for all of it <laughs> riker it was you just can't the good glib- the, the enterprise if you're number yeah. 1 It was just
0: the glibness of the writers and it was so glib and it was so crass. It was, it was, um, just, let's just get rid of it and we're going to, we're going to do something new and we're going to sell more toys or whatever it was. And it was, it was unheroic, destroying it in a heroic manner would have been one thing, but it was unheroic. It was un, it was, it was
1: it was, uh, it was bad. Glib, you in a it, it. it was glib. Yeah, and that's Be- that's the issue. We've mentioned this before uh, in another episode that glibness, like we mentioned it last week when we talked about the Bad Batch, a heroic death, even of the Enterprise is fine, but when you just treat it glibly, when you treat it like as a method who sell more toys or sell more merchandise yeah it it, at least it pulls me out of the entire thing
0: it left such a sour taste in people's mouth and it was the enterprise was literally home for people for 30 million television viewers a week for seven years and then they walk into a theater thinking they're going to watch the capstone to this triumphant run uh, mm. To this dawn of a new era of next generation movies, and they literally torched everything, and it was generation literally ends. Its its penultimate shot of generations is to end on the devastated uh, bridge of the Enterprise D, darkened, empty, in ruins, uh, a lasting image, sadly, um, that uh, I think needed uh, needed some attention needed needed mm. uh, needed to
1: be addressed needed some proper mourning because it was just it, it even had this like air of a victory march because every the people survived and i was just like but it's still oh. pretty
0: yeesh it's very yeesh and um very it was very wrong so um but yeah but so one thing i love about uh picard season three is a lot of um uh, going back on some things that um, in, der- during the movies and during the show didn't just it resolving this because this is this is it for as far as you know, you never close the door on anything you never say no, but this is it for the next year, this is the last season of Picard, they're not going to make any more Picard, Patrick has left the door open to coming back, but he's not going to do anything on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. um so this was the last opportunity to have everybody together and i'm glad they took advantage of everybody of, of all of it i'm glad everybody's in good health and um was available to do it and one of the saddest things about the original series crew is that there was so much animosity among them and still is um the original that series. We've lo- yeah um egos and just stuff that it just seems so petty and then the next generation crew like I said very very close very different um, so I'm glad that they got this opportunity to base to have their moment to have the close their chapter in a positive uplifting way mm-hmm. I'm thrilled fans got this chance because this very rarely happens this is real closing thoughts I know we're over but this is and we'll talk more about it when we talk about the back half of the show Um You've talked about fan service. This is a great example of why the fan service and this show for me works and why it didn't work in the sequel trilogy. Because fan service for this of uh, Star Wars, fan service for the sake of fan service is empty, it's hollow. When you do it right, when you give fans what they want, which is you want your people that you care about together, and you get to spend some time with them. That sequel trilogy for all the naked um, fan service, all that stuff that it was did not give you what you wanted. It didn't mm-hmm. give you your people back together. It didn't bring their stories forward. It reverted them back to type. Um,
1: Which made no sense Picard- because all of the growth that you were you were a part of when they first went through it now has just been undone.
0: It's been undone and it left you very unhappy. It left you, you're leaving the theater at the end of force awakens and certainly last Jedi feeling very much like you when you left generations. And, um, unfortunately for star Wars, the restorative aspect of Picard season three is not possible in star Wars because we don't have Carrie anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leaves you really cold and it makes you a pretty, you, I was watching the season as much as I was like, I just, I just want to say a big thank you to Terry Metallus for, making this season happen as a Star Trek fan. Um, As, as, as grateful and, and, and nerdy and all that stuff as I am for this, it, it it soured me even more on the sequels. Um, I got about halfway through Picard season three and I realized that it was just, this is what I wanted Mm -hmm. from the sequels. I didn't get it. I'm never going to get it. And that, that really, that that pisses me off.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, to go into star wars it's why i got out of the star wars fandom because it's like the the direction and everything was just pissing me off so much that all right it's not my franchise anymore i've accepted that like that's my i, I think that yeah
0: i i think that the biggest problems and the, the the two franchises are studies in I don't think there's anything wrong with fan service. Maybe final final thought, there's nothing wrong with t- fan service. It's how it, you do it mm-hmm. and why you do it. And for franchises, fan service, nostalgia bait, nostalgia porn, as some people call it, it's such a ubiquitous thing in culture and media right now. That we we then sometimes get very dismissive of it, and we're just like, oh well, that's just fan service, and we're saying something we don't really, we're not even, we're not even really considering what we're saying. When you, when you do it right, when you do it in service of the story, when you when you when you listen to the story, and when you address the fans, you're speaking to your audience. It can work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, your your mileage will vary. Star Wars was was um the sequel trilogy and a lot of recent stuff um it just feels empty because it feels like empty calories because it's just doing it for the sake of doing it and then those opportunities are gone and they're never coming back and um anyway yeah that's that's people people have uh <laughs> people have their thoughts about that so
1: yeah i mean like my final thought is what we what we said at the outset is that, fan service when done in service of the story, works. It's earned. When it's not, then it's glib, right? Like, and glibness yep. just does not work. It, it always fails. At least in terms of stories, it'll still get the press. It'll still get the publicity. It'll still get the the praise that it exists. But yeah, it's like it. The story isn't handled well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which I'm so I'm, I'm excited to pick up the back half of this conversation then next week. uh with when you've seen the rest of the show because it's it's I, um I I think the the end of Picard and 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 the and the project of season three was in the end triumphant. So I'm I'm really I'm really dying to know what you think about it. I think it was a, a very very rewarding.
1: Yep four more episodes. We're watching them daily. Awesome. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again
0: for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at darbyharn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast?
1: You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.